Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is Tuesday, October the 6th, 2020. This is episode 2746. That's right, if you're new to the show, it's been around a while, 2008, 12 plus years now, 2700 plus episodes. We're heading into winter, and... Uh, This is one of those days I got started late with the podcast because I spent so much time enjoying what I know is the end of this this time of year. And I know that I'll get a lot of days like this in the coming months, but I'll get some really cold bastard ones in between, right? And I'm going to be busy, as you can imagine, for a couple weeks coming up here soon, getting ready for the workshop. Then the, the workshop's crazy. Then we're going to coast into the holidays. And I got some plans for the holidays. I'll tell you about my, my big plan for the holidays today. But I'm going to talk mostly about gardening. And that's what I was doing. I was sitting out there and trying to figure out where my expansion going into berry patches is going to go without it being some kind of thing within my food forest or whatever, sticking with this garden system I'm going to talk about today that, that we built last year. Uh, this has just been the most productive thing that we have ever done. What, what's happened this year is unbelievable, and what's happening right now is unbelievable. It's like spring 2.0 on steroids here right now. It's better than spring, and let me explain why it's better than spring. Well, one, because I didn't really get off to the best spring start, because like all this bullshit was going on. Did I say that? Okay, one more day on the on the MSB sale. You got one more day to use the this bullshit discount code. I'll have to change the timing. Uh, the I'll have to reestablish that discount code for another day. But I said it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and do that. You can get the MSB for 40% off any membership term. The code is this bullshit one word, uh, all lowercase. More on that later. Anyway, with all this bullshit going on, which is a code in Texas for pandemic, quarantine, crap, and all the stuff that I had to do for y'all, and I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, like, I felt an obligation in March when this shit started to shitstorm that there were things that needed to be said, needed to be done, and, and, and a lid that needed to be kept on the hysteria that was trying to break out in my own audience. And I could not prevent hysteria from breaking out everywhere else, but I knew I could help it from breaking out here, and I knew I could make something good out of it for you. So I poured myself into it, and that meant a lot of things that should have got done didn't get done. And this is how I would describe this year. It was one of the best gardening years I've had in my life, and I'm 48 years old plus now, and it didn't live up to its potential. I could just be like, I would have done that, 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 and that, and all this other stuff would have happened. Right, So I'm so excited. And what's happened now, we went through that summer period where it was like 100 gazillion bazillion degrees and it didn't rain. And a lot of my plants looked like they quit. They gave up. They looked like they're dead. And then we got some rain in late August and the cooler weather came in in September and it was like, dun, 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 and just, <laughs> so part of it is, since I didn't make the most of spring, of course it looks better now because stuff's established, but that's the other part of it. In spring, you're putting this little bitty plant in the ground. And it's like, I'm trying, Jack, I'm trying. In summer, it's like, oh, man, dude, what have you done? But if it makes it through summer, when fall comes, it's got this great big root system. It's got this great big frame. It's already grown up in the world. And it's like, I better get on with it because they know, too. The plants know, too. Winter's coming. 
There's an interesting thing that goes on for me, and this is probably happening to you. If you're zone 7 to 9 and even a lot of zone 6, which is probably, if, what I just said there, is probably 70% of the country, at least 70, 75% of the population of the country, if not the landmass. Because um, Alaska, yeah, come on. Uh, is doing the same type of thing, and it'll, it'll vary a little bit, but right now it's just boom. You know, everything is just exploding. If you live anywhere, it ain't froze yet. Everything that made it this long is just going for it. And in different places, you'll have different times where it's going to come to an end. And that's kind of why we're doing this show today, because no matter how good it looks right now. Because, I mean, you, just, you look at what's going on right now. You want to go get some seeds, stick them in the ground. And unless they're winter crops, you better not do it, because it's coming, that first heavy frost. But here's the weird thing. If I go to Farmer's Almanac and I stick my little zip code in there, it says, you can expect your first frost on November 9th. Well, that's a nice story. I don't believe it. It could absolutely happen. But I, I honestly think you could take a wheel and put any date on it from about, well, October 15th to about January 15th and spin the shit out of that wheel. And it has just as good a chance of picking my first frost date as a farmer's almanac does. I've seen first frost dates here that come. I saw it at snow. I was only in Texas for a couple of years. I saw it snow on Halloween. Snow. In freaking Dallas, Texas on Halloween. And not a little bit either. I mean, it was gone the next day. But when it came, like poor little kids were freezing their asses off. I've seen it hit a freeze... At, I've never seen a September freeze. I have seen like an October 3rd freeze. Not frost, freeze. I have seen it not have a good heavy frost until the week of Thanksgiving. In fact, I would say, I, I, I really, this is something I should journal and I don't, but I would say based on my experience, the most common week for my first frost is about a week after the, 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 the almanac says. It's, it's the week before or the week of Thanksgiving. I've seen it the week after. I've seen it the day after. I remember that. And I've seen it right up around Christmas. And I've even seen it make it past Christmas before we've gotten a real, like we get a little light frost where maybe a little frost burn happens in your place, but everything stays alive. It's all over the map. But it's going to come. Winter always comes. That, somebody put a, a post in the forum, really didn't have anything to do with gardening. But it was like the second year I'd done the podcast, so only you know a few hundred episodes. I said, what are your favorite jack coats? And uh, somebody put in the forum, it said, winter's coming. It always does. And I meant that as a prepper, but it's true as a gardener, which is part of being a prepper as well, at least in my, my opinion. So today we're going to be talking about observation interaction feedback from 2020. A bullet point list of a lot of, not all the things, but a lot of things that I've learned I'm using for my planning next year. Things that I'm going to be doing and planning now and ideas for you to do the same thing. And some winter production plans. So I'm going to actually get some food and some final thoughts. That's what we're going to go through today. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor today, number one, BulkAmmo.com. Uh, get over to Bulk Ammo right now. And wherever you're short on ammo, see if you can get some. And if you can't, then get on their alert list or whatever because ammo is in short supply right now. I really need to do some stuff for you guys on reloading. And it's a good time of year to start talking about that. But even that's hard to do right now. I've only told you this for, well, ever. 
Copper-jacketed lead is the other precious metal, man. And right now it's hard to get bullets. I'm not talking about ammo where you call them bullets and you actually mean, you know, ammunition. And you, I'm talking about the bullets. Some bullets, the actual, just the projectile for reloaders, hard to get. Some powders are hard to get. Primers, man, large pistol and small pistol magnum primers have dried up like a fart in the wind. So if you can get ammo or components right now, and ammo's what you'll find at bulkammo.com, do it. But when, if, and I, I, I really feel more like when, the surplus returns, if you haven't stocked up yet, do so now. Or do so then. Bulkammo.com is a great place to get your ammo, and this is one of the reasons I always say to use it. I know, yes, if you go to Academy or Wally World or something like that, when it's on sale, you might be able to get it for a little bit less. But you got to go there and get it. If you order it from Bulk Ammo, it will actually come to your house really, really fast, and you'll have it. And you'll never sit back and look and go, I could have bought that box of ammo for a dollar less. You'll never even think that way. BulkAmmo.com, longtime supporter of the show, with a discount for members of the MSB. Next up today, I said that's the other precious metal. How about real precious metal, the, the typical precious metals? Silver, gold, platinum, etc. JM Bullion is a place to get your silver and gold. And the reason it's the place to get your silver and gold is they've been sponsoring this show since 2011. That's a while for a podcast and on the Internet. They give you a discount. It's really awesome that they give you a discount, if you're an MSB member anyway. You got free shipping. And if there ever is a problem, it's very, very seldom. About once a year now I hear from somebody, hey, I had this issue, and I can send an email over to Michael, who's the president of the company, and it will get handled. So I don't know why you would buy your silver and gold anywhere else, and I know you should be buying some. My advice has been 5% to 10% of your net worth wealth into silver and gold since the day I started this podcast, and nothing has changed. And I'll tell you, I'm actually more of a 5% guy. When I started, I say 5%, oh, more. Okay, 10% is my upper limit. Because you do not need to go all in anywhere on anything. But silver and gold have a thousands and thousands of years history of being used as money, and never being worth zero. And they are the anonymous form of wealth that you can transfer or leave to your heirs, and it don't need to be between nobody but me, you, and the fence post, as we say here in Texas. With that, let's go ahead and get on into it today. I want to start out with a permaculture principle, even though this isn't a permaculture show. It's just a plain old gardening show. But one of the, the, the principles of permaculture is observation and interaction. And that simply means that we are not separate from our gardens and from our, our properties that we manage. We're not separate. We're not separate from the park down the road that we take a walk in. in. We're not separate separate from anything on this planet. And I don't need to get all metaphysical or anything like that with it. I mean just we live here. We are living beings on this planet. I do not believe that there's wilderness here and humans there. We are a native species to this planet. We are part of things. And as a part of things, we should observe and interact and accept feedback because we are the one thing that we know of, the one life form on this planet that can actually look, accept feedback, and make a different plan outside of our instinct and our genetics. We can actually say, oh, this thing did this thing, and therefore if I change it this way, maybe it'll do better next time. Now, if you can tell me, A species on this planet other than human beings capable of doing that, go ahead. And I don't mean in one little micro-decision. I mean a long-term plan 
for how to act. We are the only life form we know of in the universe capable of doing that. I don't believe we're the only one, but we're the only one we know of. So maybe we should be doing it. Well, there's some things that I observed, interacted with this year as a gardener, and I'm going to accept the feedback from that interaction, and I'm going to make some plans in my future going into next year based on that. That's how we get smarter and better about the things that we do, no matter what they are. In this case, it just happens to be about gardening. Number one, I talked a lot about Asian eggplant this year. Uh, I ate Asian pl eggplant last night. I ate it two days before that. I ate it about three days before that. I ate it the day before that, and I've eaten a lot of Asian eggplant this year. If I want to eat Asian eggplant, I can eat it, not counting the stuff that I've, uh, that I've dehydrated, because we've dehydrated a bunch of it, too, to go through winter. Turns out it works really well. But I can eat Asian eggplant every day until the first freeze comes. I promise you, and I will not run out of it. I won't do it every day. I like it. I love it. I don't love it that much. Um, I have learned this year that it is a great plant. I should plant it, and I should probably plant about four of them, four plants. That's about all I need. Maybe six. That way I can give, some, give away some and things like that and then plant in two different areas, and then you have redundancy if one of them doesn't do so well. But, man... Holy crap. And I have some of it that's just not been taken care of because I was like, I'm done. I, I, don't, I don't want anymore. And it's like, you know what? I'm coming back and growing again. Well, I don't care. I have one. I cut it down. It grew back. I mean, I literally cut it to the ground. It grew back. It is an amazing plant. I just don't need as much of it as I, as I grew this year. I, I, I think I could have had an eggplant farm this year. Honestly, I could have supplied a restaurant with the stuff it, 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 if I had planted just a little bit more than I have. It is an amazing plant. I really recommend. And I don't think it really matters. Ishiban is a hybrid variety that works really good. Ping Tung did really good. I planted like four varieties, and it all did great. It all did great. I would say, while I like an open-pollinated variety that I can save my own seed from, as, as productive as it is and as cheap as a seed packet is, probably the best-looking one is the Ichiban. The Ichiban eggplant is just a gorgeous, gorgeous plant and a gorgeous uh, eggplant. And if you haven't heard me talk about it before this year, which you probably had if you've tuned in, it is totally a different experience from the eggplant that you generally buy in a grocery store. The big old giant, you know, thick-ass egg look, like look at a giant, you know, dinosaur egg, eggplant. Those eggplants have a, a certain amount of uh, alkalinity in them And if you've ever like bought one and cooked it without looking up what you're supposed to do and you thought it tasted like ass, what it actually tasted like was ashtray. Not ashtray, ashtray. And it's due to some of the alkalinity in it. And that can be remedied by slicing it and salting it and sweating it. And then you can do whatever you want to do with it. The Asian eggplants do not, these are the long ones that look like a big old purple sausage, you know, or a pink sausage. They do not have that problem you cut them up you saute them real real quick and they're delicious they have kind of a sweet taste to them uh they're low in calories they're high in nutrition they're just a great plant now this is the magic of the eggplant it is very spongy it's very absorbent whatever you want it to taste like a little bit of marinade on it and let it sit for about 20 minutes before you cook it it will taste like that and the simplest marinade is a dead simple kind of teriyaki marinade. And and that's that's a real easy thing. You can just do some soy sauce and, and, and you'll be good. 
but like a like a quick teriyaki where you don't have to cook it down or anything. You can make yourself that is keto because you're not going to use that much. There's a little bit of carbs in the soy, but there's not that much. And instead of using sugar, we're going to use Lakanto sugar substitute, and you'll never know the difference. And all you need is some garlic, and you can use uh, dehydrated garlic, powdered garlic, something like that for that. So as it rehydrates, it will uh, it will release that garlic flavor. Powdered ginger, powdered ginger root, uh, some sugar, and some soy sauce. That's all you need. Mix that up in a jar, set it in the refrigerator, shake it up whenever you use it. And I'm talking once you know, mix up like a you know a, a pint of that, or even uh, a half pint, like a jelly jar of that. It's about as much as I'll mix up at once. If you do have any problems with any, any of the stuff dissolving, throw it in the microwave. You know, just don't don't throw it in there for like two minutes. Throw it in there for like ten seconds. Then you know, put the lid on it and give it a shake, and keep it stored in your refrigerator. About two tablespoons on that, and one of those cooked eggplants just in a bowl, and kind of mix it up. And mix it up once or twice before you throw it in. Whatever you're cooking with, you're cooking it with other vegetables, throw it in for like the last five minutes at the most. It's fantastic. Another way to do it, split it right down the middle, cook it over a hot grill, brush it with that same teriyaki or whatever flavor you want. It's outstanding. Just don't plant. Too. If you plant 12 bushes, ask me how I know, you're going to be hurling these things at people. And they kind of stand in good in like a vegetable saute or whatever for zucchini. They're, they're similar in a way. They're not the same, but they don't have hardly any pests bother them. Next, Texas wild tomato is a freaking weed in the best way possible. I would call Texas wild tomato and Matt's wild cherry, I think, are really the same plant, by the way. Uh, depending on what you can find. But the Texas wild tomato is what I'm going to be growing from now on. It lasted longer than any other tomato did with blight hitting it. It grew more tomatoes than I can use, two of them. Now, there was a, I had other tomatoes coming in from, like, black cherry and other stuff like that. But, honestly, the, the, I, I couldn't keep up with it. It was just, And they're little bitty ones. They're about half the size of a standard-sized cherry tomato. They're delicious. And the blight hit all the tomatoes like it does every year. And about mid-July, I cut the tomatoes down. They're still producing a little bit. They're still trying to outgrow the blight. But it just gets to the point where that space would better be used by something else. That's been my method forever. Get as much as you can. And when you cut them down, you take all your green tomatoes, prune them off the vine, and lay them on the ground right ne you know, in the garden. And let them ripen right there. They ripen beautifully. And as long as you leave them on the vine, they just so you just you come out every day and all the ones that ripen you take inside. I did that this year. I cut the wild cherry tomatoes back. The damn things look like one-month-old tomato plants right now that were just planted brand new. They've grown back from the damn roots. And they have blossoms on them, and they're starting to set fruit. If they set fruit before the end of the year, you can bet I'm going to save some seed from that. This is the most insane thing I've ever seen with a tomato. So if you've struggled with tomatoes because of blight, I'm telling you, these are the things. That's a, They're going in next year in my main gardens. It's probably, I'm going to plant half those and half some other stuff, You know, some other tomatoes that have done pretty well. But they, I, I have never seen a tomato plant. You take a rice knife and cut it off, You know, maybe leave an inch of it sticking out of the ground, and it just you don't see hardly anything from it for a month, and then all of a sudden, do-do-do-do, and it just grows back. I, I've never... I've, And I've grown some tomatoes in my life. So, folks, that is a winner. For my squash, Seminole Pumpkin and Trumbushina Squash are honey badgers. 
I have these things growing. I've got one right now. I could beat somebody to death with it. It's 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 as big around as my forearms, and if you ever seen me, I have Popeye forearms, the upper part of my forearm. It probably weighs freaking 20 pounds. I've got a second one almost that big. It's setting fruit right now. I don't know how much more I'm going to get out of it. You can use it as zucchini when it's young. You can save it like a pumpkin when it's old. And it's got vine borers in it, and the leaves have dust from the vine borers eating and throwing it out of the vines, and they're still growing and still alive. That's a, a, a cucuberta machetta species uh, of squash, which, which butternut is. But my butternut has not stood up the way that the Trombuccino and the Seminole Pumpkin have. Uh, so those are big winners. Next up, um, I'm going to plant red noodle beans and scarlet runner. Scarlet runner did okay. Red noodle beans are doing awesome. We get a variety of different bean diseases in Texas. And most people deal with bean diseases that, that have to do with it being too wet. Different molds and funguses and stuff like that. We don't get much of that. We get a weird fungal disease that hits our beans in midsummer when it gets really, really hot. The red noodle beans just really didn't get hardly any of it. And I really like them because when they grow the beans, the, the, the plant is green, but the bean is a dark burgundy. You know what that means? You see them. Because <laughs> I grow like a, a, a menace trellis, right? Like So a lot of times some beans go really long, and I should have been picking them, and they're missed. So I like that you can see them. They grow really long. You get a lot of I mean, you pick five of them. you got enough to cut them up in normal size. you got enough for a side dish for two people. Um. They, they produce so fast you can get seed out of them maybe two to three times in a single season. They're, they're just a fantastic plant. So they're definitely going in. Now, the Scarlet Runners did get this fungal thing that we get here, but they grow a tuber, and they're all growing back now too. So I'm going to be planting both of those. I'm going to put them in very early next year. Like if I put them in too early, oh, well, I'll plant them again. I have plenty of seed crop available. Uh, more on that in a bit. Next up, these new gardens, and with, you know, the gardens I put in, if you haven't seen it yet, it's, it's a really large garden area that surrounds a 12-foot pond, 12 by 12 timber frame pond. Uh, it looks like a, 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 some kind of hodgepodge between like a Victorian garden and a uh, Asian garden because of the water feature. But by the way it's laid out, there's a lot of climate, micro, microclimate uh, areas in it. And some of it gets plenty of sun, but a lot of western shade. And with that, I found that I can actually grow calendula through the year without it dying. And it's all blowing up again now. Calendula is an incredibly useful plant. It's very good at bringing in pollinators. It's a pot herb you can eat. It's a medicinal. Uh, it makes a good tea. And again, a medicinal is a great medicinal. Uh, for, for healing salves and things like that. And I'm, I'm big on herbalism. So I will be growing a lot more calendula next year. I only grew a little bit because it, it always dies by late spring, early summer. And I've actually figured out I can grow it year-round here now. Well, not year-round. I can grow it all the way from spring into fall. I know when winter comes, eventually it'll knock it back. Um, my hydro, hydroponic tomato system that I built in my greenhouse was a total flop. Fortunately, I got tomatoes out of my ass from every other place. But I really thought that was going to be the bullet, the silver bullet. Grow them tomatoes in a hydroponic system, get away from the blight. 
you know what happened? They're in a greenhouse, but the greenhouse was uncovered. It had a roof, but the whole front was open. And it just was still too hot and too humid in there and not enough airflow. And so we're going to do cucumbers in there next year. And in fact, I got cucumbers in there right now. And if either we don't get a frost by the workshop, or if somehow by some miracle I do get the cover on it by the workshop, um, we may have cucumbers for the workshop because they're about halfway there and they got 30 days and cucumbers produce fast. And they're in a hydro system getting a perfect mix of fertility. So that's going to become a cucumber system next year. But hydro tomatoes work the way I did them works. Nicole did it the exact same system. She built it the exact same way I did, out of the exact same material, but she built hers kind of outside, and, and they worked fantastic for her. So if you watch that build, it ain't that it didn't work. It's that in Texas, in our heat, in a greenhouse, even if it's wide open, both doors all the way open, no front on it, total airflow, worked fine. My strawberries flopped, too, uh, and I was afraid that would happen. I, I built a pipe-based system. It's in the front wall of the greenhouse, no covering. It's still, it got too hot. They just really couldn't handle it. And as they started, the tomatoes and the, um, the the strawberries in that greenhouse, as they started to struggle, it was right when I went on vacation, and I just didn't care, and I didn't do anything to try to get them through it. And I may have been able to if I had not, if the timing didn't work out that way. Um, I also learned this year I need to leave larger gaps when I build trellises. So if you've seen my gardens that I've been talking about, there's four different beds and the beds that are on the, the north side have trellises along the back walls, and they're built in a right-angle configuration. They're uh, about six foot above the top of the bed, made with cattle panels, and they go the full length, 12 foot by 12 foot along the back walls. <sighs> There's space in a cattle panel. You can reach through a cattle panel, but I brought them almost all the way to the bottom, and it's just a pain in that butt to work from the back side of those beds. And they're four foot wide, so they're what you call a double reach bed. So you can reach the back from the front, but it is not convenient, especially once it's all grown in. Uh, so planting and fertilizing and then harvesting anything or cutting anything that's down at ground level, is just it, it's not impossible, it's just hard. So I would, originally I was going to pull the cattle panels off and raise them up. I don't think they'll look as good because the... The supports are, are timbers, and they're, they're cut off right at the top, and they're all leveled and nice. So all I'm going to do is cut the first, the first layer, the first grid in the cattle panels out. And I tried bolt cutters, and they cut right through it, and they make a really jagged, nasty cut. And I got a really fine-toothed blade for my sawzall, and I tried that, and it makes a really nice clean cut right up against the cross member. Uh, and as you go, as they get more flexible, anyone who's ever used a sawzall knows that if the material's moving, the sawzall doesn't work as well. So when all these beans and things that are on it right now are dead, so I'm not hurting them, I need to go through there and have a helper and have somebody just stand on the front and push against it with a 2x4 uh, so that it stays steady when I cut it. And I'm going to cut the bottom, the first bottom rung all the way off all four of those panels. And from that point on, that problem's over. So that's something that was feedback this year. And my aviary production. So I've my aviary's been my star of the show till this year. Those are where I have my wicking beds that are built in hundred gallon tubs, and it was okay this year. I planted too much in it. I put a lot of work into it last year to getting all those wicking beds down on the ground, clearing the space up, making better efficient use of the space, 
putting a pond in there and getting it all ready for birds that never came also because of all this bullshit. And uh, you know what? I just overplanted it. And because I've always been obsessive about tomatoes because I've knocked on enough production out of them, I put a tomato plant in every bed that grew like crazy. It crowded out things. I had one bed that a Tomatillo volunteer came up in. My house sitter, Michael, when he was here, did exactly what I asked him to, and he, he, he tied it up so that it was supported. It totally ate that bed. No pepper production out of it, hardly at all. Um, and it's, it's just now putting a few tomatillos on, so that totally wasn't worth it. I may grow some tomatillos in the actual garden space next year, but in the, in the aviary, it just wasn't worth it. Um, it just all got out of hand, and it didn't get enough attention. And so what I need to do next year is, now that I have all this other garden space that already produces more food than I can eat, I need to think really careful about what goes in there. And it is definitely a pepper system. It is a ground nut system. Uh, those are two things that do really good in those beds. And I need to reduce the amount of planting in there and do some of my uh, kind of premium peppers. And some of my cross-pollination pepper experiments that didn't happen this year need to happen in there next year. But I need to make it a little bit more manageable. No more super vining crops. And that's where I have to be careful with the ground nuts. Though I learned this year all my struggling with ground nuts is over. I can grow a ground nut that will that will vine over you and eat you now with ground nuts. So I have to be careful of where they go. So they may actually only go into certain areas where I can let them. There's some beds to the front side where I can let them create shade uh, for midsummer. And uh, I am going to probably be growing a lot of a thing called Kronzis in there next year because I have some doing very well in there. Uh, but that will be kind of the ground cover. So that, those beds are probably going to grow two to three peppers each, which is plenty. Uh, they're going to probably grow Kronzis in some and sweet potato in all. The sweet potato has been an incredible success over and over again. And I, I can grow as much of that as I want. The ducks love it. The chickens love it. As far as the greens, I eat the greens. Sweet potato greens are fantastic. And we get what we get for tubers, but it, 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 when you grow something like that with that huge vine and it surrounds a garden bed, it shades the roots and keeps them cool. And then you have this unlimited amount of feed for your, your livestock as well. It's just it's fantastic. Uh, but I definitely need to simplify that. Some things to be doing and planning on doing right now that I'm doing and you, you might want to look at as well is get those winter crops in. If you're going to plant something that you're going to be harvesting in your winter, through your winter and stuff, get it in now. I don't care if, like, right now everything's blowing up. I don't want to dig anything out. I don't want to cut anything down. I'll plant right underneath it, you know, or right next to it, just so I don't want to completely shade it out. But I know that I'm 30 days out, most likely, from most of this stuff being gone. So if it's not being planted now, it's being planted in the next three to four weeks. Things for me like that are broccoli, kale, daikon, carrot, turnip, etc., and some others. And some of that actually doubles as cover crop stuff. Um, next, seed saving selection. So we ate a buttload of beans last night, and we really like. I did them. And here's a way to do your beans: get some bacon, cut it up in little pieces. How could this be bad? It starts with bacon. Fry your bacon. Take all your little bacon bits out of the pan. Leave the grease behind. Throw your beans in there. 
saute your beans until they're cooked to the doneness you like them. And if you cook them until they're like pale green and soft and mushy, you've, you've sinned against food. Bright green, a little bit of crisp less than them, kind of al dente bean, right? And then throw the bacon back in it, toss it, and just serve that. That's the easiest, best, highest use of a green bean. Now, what I did yesterday, I did exactly that, and I took the uh, eggplant I talked about, and I didn't feel like making up teriyaki, so I just used a little bit of soy sauce, a little sprinkle of soy sauce on it, and let it sit. And I threw the, when the beans were almost done, I threw the, the, the eggplant and the bacon bits back in and just let that heat through a little bit, and that was amazing. So, um, but definitely, um, it is time to start selecting seeds, and that's where I was going with that. So when I was out there picking those beans, I started realizing, okay, you need to not pick them all. Not that I could or felt like it. It was damn near dark when I was doing it. But some of them were starting to get kind of thick and having some pretty good-sized actual beans inside the pods. And so I've started now to select certain pods for my seed crop for next year. I'm doing the same thing with my Scarlet Runner beans and a lot of other stuff. So this is a good time to start selectively looking at some things that you're going to, in the next few weeks, get your seed crop for next year from if you're going to be doing that. And when you have something that does really well for you, and it's an easy thing to save seeds for, and you have little or no risk of cross-pollination, that's something that you want to save. You really do. I've also been doing this with my squash. So I have really loved what I'm seeing out of Seminole Pumpkin, even though I haven't produced any to eat yet. Um, but I'm getting tons of them to set right now. And I've really loved what I've seen out of Trombazino Zucchini. So I have done some cross-pollination in that, going from one to the other and back. And I plan on playing with those hybrids next year and seeing what comes out of them, because who knows? It could be really cool. But since they're both the Moschetta species, so if you want to do any experiments like that, you're running out of time. It's time to do it now. Next, you got to start preserving the surplus fast. Because you just don't know when the final bell is going to ring. We're really not this year. We're giving away what we can. We've already put up like four quart jars of cherry tomatoes uh, dehydrated. That's a lot of tomato. I still have a little bit, I think, from last year. That's a lot of tomato. I I've got more dehydrated peppers than I know what to do with, especially like jalapenos and other chilies. So we're pretty much giving stuff away, eating stuff, and, 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 and you know, the surplus goes with the animals or the worms or whatever. Um, but if you need to be storing, now is the time to be storing, and rapidly so. Um, it's a great time to plan out next year's planning plan. A big part of my, my, my interaction and my feedback this year has been, wow, peppers did really good here, and they did okay there. Well... I'm not planting them where they did okay. I'm planting things that didn't give a damn where I planted them in those places. So this is going to be the first year that I sit down with graph paper and lay out at least my primary plantings. Pepper, 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 eggplant, 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 like that. Now, I'm still going to do a lot of interplanting. You know, I'm not going to lay out where every calendula is going to go. That's That's kind of a a mid-story plant that, that fills in gaps. I'm not going to try to lay down where freaking um, sweet potato goes because it's a big vining crop, and let it vine in between everything. It's great. It's a living mulch. I am going to kind of plan in like, okay, a few of these need to go where I can actually trellis sweet potato and then intercrop peas and or, uh, beans with them, etc. So a lot of that's going to be going on too with this planting, but I'm going to actually map out 
quantities and varieties in specific locations of planting this year for the first time ever. I always say I'm going to do it, and I never do it. This year I've actually already I've already started, so I know it's going to happen. Um, and I also have you know I have either the seed saved or I have the seed in, in reserve to do it, and I have the systems to start it. So and I have the, I have already mapped out like I already know next year when my Texas wild cherry tomatoes need to go into the hydro seed starting system. The day that needs to happen is already planned out on the calendar. I've never done this before, and I'll tell you what's motivated me to do it. My success in not doing it. I know that sounds crazy, but what I mean by that is, again, and, and it, my buddy David did some like trolling posts on me. He came and visited while I was away um, on vacation the place and he had like this huge giant grocery bag of food that he took home and and I told him you just have it but he made it like he was coming and stealing it he got in my car like he was driving my my new challenger he said something about how fast it went in reverse or whatever just to troll people but he he said to me honestly when I got back he said I've been to farmers markets you know like a little farmers market store that they had less food than you had in that garden he I've never he said I've never seen anything like that before and that was freaking June we had already started to go down into our summer because our summers are, are weak, a weakness here. It's actually easier for me to produce quantity, just different props. It's easier for me to produce quantity in February than it is in July. I'm telling you, it's, it is, is a brutal, brutal summer here. But I also learned so much about the way that the way I land, land at, laid out that garden. I'd love to tell you I built the microclimates into it on purpose. I did and I didn't. And here's what I mean by that. I knew what I wanted to do, and I knew it was the only place where it would fit. And I knew how it would be shaped, and I knew it would create microclimates. But if I thought there was a different way to do it, it wouldn't have fit anyway. So it had to go there to fit where I had the space to put the full system. And, uh, man, this year coming with that intel... My July and August will not be so tough. They really won't. They really won't. And and the things that get knocked back, I've now determined these are the varieties that can get knocked back but come back. These are the green beans to grow. This is the tomato to grow. Like even if you don't grow only this tomato, make sure you grow this tomato too. And put this tomato in a place where you can make allowance that it's going to come back for you. That type of thing. So because I had so much success this year, it's made me want to be more organized and fill in those gaps and say, okay, so what can we really do with this? What, what can we really do here with this garden system, which is only, which it's, it's 320 square feet of dirt is what the garden is. And, and I want to know now, like, what can what can I do with that? Beyond what we were able to do, because I have a lot of space that got taken up um, by some plants that got really big that I just let grow to see what they would do. I got a whole, a whole zantle that's just massive, and I just did it for seed crop. I'll never need to let one get that big again. I have a red perilla that looks like a giant bush. I mean, and I just did that to let it go to seed. I really didn't. I, I've never really grown red perilla before, and uh, it's an expensive microgreen, and I just want to see what kind of seed I'll get out of it, but. I didn't really care for it to eat it, so I probably won't grow it again. Um, just so much stuff like that. I have a almost a four by eight 
section of one bed that really doesn't have much growing in it because it just really didn't get planted this year. Like, with a plan, I can only imagine what we're going to be able to do this year. I mean, it's going to literally, I call it nine mile farm. It's going to be small farm production from 320 square foot of garden space. Next, fertilize, feed, mulch, cover crop, right? Feed those worms. And, and I've got uh, a cover crop going into these gardens intermixed and even some overlap with winter production. So I'm going to be growing some uh, some conventional pea for eating, but I have a, a pea that I'm growing this year called Blaze Winter Pea. That's going to be one of my cover crops. They put nitrogen in the soil. They're incredibly frost tolerant. They should live right through. I should be cutting them down to get them out of the way and using them to feed my livestock uh, in spring. I mean, they, there's no way they should winter kill here at all. And uh, I got them from Hancock Seed. Actually, all my stuff I'm about to give you right now I got from Hancock Seeds. Um, purple top turnip. I do a little bit with turnip. I'm not really a turnip green fan, and I'm not a big turnip eater. Uh, but they are a great uh, crop to grow in winter. I consider them a cover crop. Uh, I'm going to be growing a little bit of barley in there because it's incredibly frost tolerant. It will grow through, and all the seed heads can go to the birds. And uh, daikon radish. And I, I consider all of that cover crop, but the barley can go to the birds, especially now that I have chickens. Because ducks, they like sprouted barley. They're not a real fan of, like, dry barley. You just throw heads on the ground, they're not going to do the work. I don't want to be threshing barley or anything, but I'll get it in early enough that in the spring I can go ahead and cut the tops off of it and just let it dry and throw it in a bucket, and then you just throw a handful, like a scratch feed, to the chickens and let them hammer it. And uh, the rest can just be dropped to the ground as, as, a, as a spring mulch. So all that's going in. Some additional things that are going in, like I said, regular peas and carrot and broccoli and kale. Uh, probably some more Swiss chard. Even I got tons of Swiss chard coming back already. Arugula does good for me in winters. It really, you know, I'll just I'll just throw a bunch of seed out of that. It may be the case actually that the workshop when we do this workshop. Since we're, we're going to do is split it into two groups. So one group's going to go with Nick and walk the food forest. One group's going to come with me to the gardens. And then we're going to swap. And he's going to take the, the first group to the forest. And I'm going to take the second group to the uh, gardens. And we'll probably actually plant a bunch of this stuff. Because it'll be easy with that many people popping seeds in and stuff like that. And maybe throw mulch down. I've got a huge pile of wood mulch that I picked up from tree trimmers. It finally happened. Finally got it. It only cost me uh, four, four 12 packs of beer. And I've got... I bet you I have 40 freaking yards of mulch, wood mulch. It won't all get used for this, but it's it's glorious over there in the far field now. So we'll probably put that down, and it'll be part of the lessons of the garden that we're going to do at the workshop. Um, maybe getting in a little bit earlier, but what I'm actually secretly hoping for is that we get that frost, and it, go ahead, it goes ahead and winter kills all my annuals that are going to get winter killed, and then they're just out of the way. It'll make it all easier. It'll make it all easier to do. It probably won't happen because this year I'm the one year I'm okay with it. Usually I'm like, I just don't want it to die. This year I got so much out of it, I'm ready. I'm ready to go to the next phase. But anyway, if you if you want to uh, use any of this stuff, again, I'm using Purple Top Turnip, Frostmaster Winter Pea, which is now called Blaze Winter Pea, Barley Seed, and Daikon Radish. I got all of it from a place called Hancock Seed. I'll put a link to that. I'm not going to link to the individual things, um, but it's H-A-N-C-O-C-K-S-E-E-D.com. Hancock Seed is one of my favorite places to go for cover crop seeds. I want to stop here and talk about something just for a second 
It's not really what we're talking about, but it's an important distinction. I often have people confuse the concept of like a pasture seed mix and a cover crop. These are different things for different reasons. Sometimes we use some of the things that would go into a cover crop in pasture establishment, but we know they're going to go away and we're successing them into reseeding annuals and perennials in a pasture. A cover crop, you want it to die eventually. Either mechanically die because you kill it, or to cold kill or to heat kill. So if you use something like a Frostmaster winter pea, if you don't kill it, when it gets warm enough in spring, early summer, weather will kill it. If you grow something like a barley or a wheat, it eventually gets to the end of its life cycle and dries out. And unless it reseeds, it's done. And all of the root mass and biomass then rots into the ground. We're feeding worms with this. When we do something like daikon radish, what we don't pick and use, because I only need so many daikons to use, will rot in the ground, and worms will come and eat it. And it will be like somebody dug a hole in your ground for you with a little mini post hole digger a foot and a half, two foot deep, and filled it with worm castings for you. Same thing with turnips. It just won't be as deep. It'll be a little bit more round. All of that is feeding soil. So even though I'll take some harvest in winter, in spring through fall, we grow food. Think of winter to early spring, late fall. That's when we need to really, we need to be growing soil all the time, but we really need to be recharging the batteries, especially in the south. That's our time. So when I do all this, the other thing I'll do is I'll, I'll go buy another $6 uh, bag of sweet feed, 50-pound sack for 6 7 bucks at Tractor Supply, and I'll put you know four or five scoops of it into the beds when I plant it with the cover crop, and then I'll mulch over top of that. We're just feeding worms. Probably throw down some more organic fertilizer at that time. We're feeding worms. We're building soil. This is the first year that we've grown this garden, and it's explosive. Imagine what happens. You know, Every fish that dies has gone in there. When I go fishing and I clean fish, all the gut piles have been just dig a hole, bury it in the garden. All of this, and then we take this wintertime and we supercharge it like this. All the aquatic vegetation that we pull off that goes onto the beds. What's going to happen in that second season is going to blow even me away, and I know what to expect. And that's what this time period is for, and that is very different than establishing a pasture, just so you all understand that. Next, this is a good time for mapping out expansion plans. Now, if you can't tell, I'm a little bit excited about what I've done, and I don't think I need any more vegetable space at all. At all. I'm going to be doing some things with herbs in some of my other wicking beds. Uh, one of my little systems, a 300-gallon aquaponics system, runs through four wicking beds. It's going to become six wicking beds by spring. But, like, one bed's going to be a dedicated comfrey bed. One bed's going to be a dedicated lemon balm bed. Like, I'm in a position now where we will never use everything we produce. So we need to start producing things that are specific so I love lemon balm and bee balm for teas. So now I've got tea forever by doing those two beds like that. I love sage. Sage is one of my favorite things. My animals eat the hell out of it. Any place I put sage in the ground, if I don't care where I put it, sooner or later one of those ducks is like, guys, hey, sage. And I didn't think anything ate sage like that. They eat that shit to the ground. Rosemary, leave it alone. Oregano, that can grow oregano right in the middle of my food forest. They don't care. 
freaking sage. They tear that and, and forget comfrey on the ground level. Duck level, comfrey, done. So those are things that I can use for herbal medicines, that I can use for cooking, etc. So those are getting done. So I don't need to expand my gardens. But the other thing that's been really hard for me to do is I've been trying to establish these food forests, and, and I'm kind of I'm not going to get into it today, but I'm taking a kind of a different long-term view of those things, is berries. So I'm planning right now, and i got to make a giant willow in kind of the same area work with this without shading everything out. But in addition to those guards, basically put in two more really cool beds without ruining all the cool symmetry I got going on. And I think I figured out this morning how to do it when I was out there spacing out. Um, but they're going to be for, for berries. And I think what I'm going to do is just two, two berries. Uh, gummies, which are basically big, giant, delicious versions of autumn olives. They're Agnes species, and we won't get into it today, but they're like a, they're like an autumn olive, but they're about the size of a small grape instead of a little bitty currant, right? Uh, and blackberry. And like a bed of each. For now, I think that's what I'm gonna do, because that's just something I'd like to add to what we're doing. Um, and, and that's about it. As far as expansion beyond those other wicking beds and kind of cleaning up the aviary and, and simplifying things in there. Um, and I'll also tell you, I said at the beginning, I'm really looking forward to the holidays this year. You know what my big plans for the holidays are? Nothing. I mean, I'm going to cook a holiday dinner. Well, two, one for Thanksgiving and one for Christmas. So I don't mean complete, but I mean like around the, because you guys know me. If you've been around a while, if you're new, maybe you don't. This whole thing where people are like, I can't believe somebody said happy holidays to me and said Merry Christmas. I love Christmas. Merry Christmas in advance before you get your butt hurt. But I usually do say the holidays because for me it's a it's a time of year. It has nothing to do with appealing to anybody's political correct bullshit. What it has to do with is once I hit Thanksgiving, I do what I got to do between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and about two to three days before Christmas, you'll hear me say, here's the Christmas special, and goodbye. And it, until about January 2nd or 3rd, depending on how the days lie, all you'll get from me is rewind shows, which will already be done, and I take all that time off with my family. And that whole period, Thanksgiving to Christmas to New Year's, When I say the holidays, that's what I'm talking about. And so I have a coast and then a shutdown. And this year, with all this bullshit that's gone on, I'm looking forward to that more than anything else. It's also why we usually do the workshop just before Thanksgiving. We kind of do that workshop. I get charged up. I come back. I give you another week of programming. Thanksgiving comes. I'm gone for a long weekend. You, know, you get Wednesday. You get Wednesday of Thanksgiving week. You get the Thanksgiving special. That's easy. It's already done. Been done for 12 years now. And then Thursday, it's Turkey Day. I'm out. Good, uh, you know, Black Friday, I'm not here. I'll see you on Cyber Monday. And then we kind of have some cool things go on in, intermittently in between there and some cool guests and some special stuff. And then gone. And I do it every year. And I don't know if I've ever looked forward to it as much as I do this year. Going into this year and thinking, my God. I'm going to do nothing. And we might even go on vacation, vacation, in the middle of the vacation. You don't need to know about that right now. But that's, And what I'm telling you that for is there is a time for rest, and it is winter. 
And that's why I saved my quote of the day for you today until the end. And unlike yesterday, I didn't forget it this time. William Blake, famous poet, once wrote, In seed time, learn. In harvest, teach. In winter, enjoy. I couldn't have found a better quote for today's show. It was in time of planting and seeding that I learned this year after, I must say, 35 years of being a gardener. Because I started being a gardener when I was a little bitty boy. In 35 years of being a gardener, I might have learned more this year than I ever did any other individual year and maybe any other you know, five-year period put together. In seed time this year, I did learn. Now, in the midst of harvest, I hope today's show was a teaching event for you. That I was able to convey a lot of what I've learned. And in winter, we should all rest. And that gives me another call out to tell you guys, really think about watching Tales from the Green Valley again, or for the first time if you haven't yet. Because boy, there's a lot of that cycle of life that we've lost, you know, in the 1600s and now. And the only thing that prevents us from taking it back, that takes that time of seeding to learn and harvest to teach and in winter to enjoy, is us. We can make that decision. So whatever you have to do to design your life in that way this time around, see if you can get it done. Because there is a time for getting shit done, and there is a time for not doing shit. With that, we've wrapped up another episode of the Survival Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it today. If you did, remember you can always help us out by joining the Member Support Brigade. To join the Member Support Brigade, go to the survivalpodcast.com. Click on Members and sign up there. Remember, since I slipped and said it in the intro and then went ahead and said it a couple more times, I've extended the sale that was going on for one more day. And I think I was supposed to run one more day anyway, and I lied. Anyway, if I screwed that up, I'm sorry. And if I, I'm going to check, and if I did, if I think I started on Tuesday last week. If I did, it should run through the end of today. If that's the case, I'll run it through tomorrow, too. I don't know yet. I'm not going to commit. I don't remember. My brain hurts. But right now, you do know this. Today... You can use the the the, uh, the discount code this bullshit all lowercase one word and get forty percent off any uh, membership uh, of, of the member support brigade one month three month six month or annual you can take it any way you want to uh, it's a really great way you get your discounts bunch of seeds in there a bunch of seed companies among others you can get discounts for how about gunadapters.com discount on that alone man right now. You know, I mean, ammo's scarce. You get what you can. Gunadapters.com and a single-shot shotgun or a double-barrel shotgun, you can do a lot. And those things are pretty damn accurate, too. Check them out. I mean, awesome stuff in the MSB. Uh, next up, you can do your online shopping at tspaz.com. I started talking, thinking about the holiday impact, and I was like, you know, it's time to ring back the E-Tech City Wireless Remote Controlled Electrical Outlet Switch Units. These things are cool. You get two remotes and five outlet switches. Each outlet switch is, and it should say one, two, three, four, five on them. They don't. So the first time you use them, you got to kind of push a button to figure out which one's which. All I do is like plug a, a something electric into one, stick it in the wall, and hit the button until it goes. Then I take a sharpie and I write one, two, three, four, five on each of the remote, uh, the, the 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 electrical ends. You take a look at them; it'll make sense. These things are awesome though, and why for the holidays? My wife makes Christmas forest every year. And I know my living room is fixing to turn into Christmas forest again. It's pretty cool. 
he has a little video from Instagram last year I linked to from the uh, the write-up today. You should check it out. And we have about three outlets that stuff gets plugged into. And by the time she's done with this, and if you look at the video, you'll see what I mean. I can't possibly get back to flip light switches or freaking um, power strips or whatever. All I do is every outlet, I put one of these in, and like when we want them on, we turn them on. When we want them off, we turn them off. And I use timers for a lot of things, too, but, I mean, that's kind of an on-demand thing. We have this lamp that's another type of situation, like getting to it is a pain in the butt, but putting one of these in, click, it's on. When my grandson was really little, he would, I don't want to go to the bathroom. I'm scared. I want somebody to come with me. It's like, dude, go. I can't turn the light on. And so I go in and legitimately, like, he couldn't reach the light switch. So I put a light in there for him, plugged into one of these, gave him a remote, and ended that excuse. There's all kinds of cool stuff you can do with this, but it's really great for holiday lighting to be able to turn Because some things are just better on demand. They're awesome. Check it out. But remember, it doesn't matter what you buy. As long as you do your online shopping at tspaz.com, you can help us out no matter what it is you buy. Remember, stay connected with us. I mean, you're going to be able to get these E-Tech City wireless remote things easily enough. They're not going to sell out or anything. But, man, I bring y'all some stuff sometimes for item of the day, like on a, a lightning deal or something. And sometimes I put that out on social media and all. And by the time the email goes out at the end of the day or the show goes out, they're gone. It's sold out. I sold the hell out of some Anchor Packup Power stuff a couple of weeks ago. Um, and so if you are on our Telegram channel, the minute that thing goes up, I put it out on the Telegram channel. If you want to see all the ways to stay in touch with us, just go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Get Social, and you can see all of the ways to do that. And the Telegram channel has become really popular with people right, really fast because it's only me to you. It's not a big discussion. It's not a bunch of crap. It's not, and it's not that every, not, you know, it's not that social media is much crap. I like it. I just know some of y'all feel that way. Like you don't care that I, somebody just put in a cold frame. I do. You don't. You just want to know when new stuff's on the site. The channel's nice and clean that way. All you get is a few announcements from me today. Hey, this is published. Here's a new video, that type of thing. Uh, check it out. With that, let's go ahead and uh, wrap things up with our song of the day. So our song of the day today, I, I was looking for something about harvest and gardening and something like that, and there's some stuff out there. But I started thinking about what I'm really trying to get across to people when I talk about gardening, farming, homesteading, and in a weird way, it fits the song about being a cowboy. Because what this song is about is a way of life that was once common that just isn't anymore. It's by Chris Ledoux, and I realized it's also a sin that I haven't played a Chris Ledoux song for you for so long. Uh, he's one of the, the better country artists of all time. Cause he's a, you know, this is a real cowboy. Grew up as a cowboy, was a saddle bronc champion, and then went into music and, and influenced people like Garth Brooks, really. I mean, just got his start from making tapes, his, having his family make tapes and distribute them and getting on local radio and doing just amazing local shows. Just changed the kind of the whole concept of what a, a country concert could be, making it somewhat rock and roll but sticking to its roots. This song's very, very traditional. Again, it's called You Just Can't See Him From The Road. And it is about a way of life that used to be common. And the stuff that we're talking about today, growing that backyard garden, taking care of a little, little bit of livestock, looking forward to the holidays is a time to, to celebrate and a time to, 
to relax. All of that is a way of life that was pretty common not that long ago. And the difference is only today, not that you can't live that way, but do you choose to? There's people that still make a living with their rope, in the words of this song. There's people, the line drop today that went out on social media before the show came out. He's had one or two good horses that he counts among his friends. He never drew a breath that wasn't free. That life still exists. It's choice. Feeding your family from your old backyard, it, it still exists. It's choice. Having the good sense to understand the value of the holiday season and the shutdown that is winter still exists. It's a choice. Sometimes it's a choice that seems a little difficult to make, but all things can be overcome with what? Good design. Not only can we design a garden, not only can we design a home, not only can we design um, a property, we can design a lifestyle. The question for you today is what kind of lifestyle do you want to design? With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Well, you don't see him much on the big screen anymore. And kids don't ride along with Royer Jean. And that ain't really him with all those feathers in his hat. Some Frenchman's name embroidered on his jeans But he's still out there riding fences Still makes his living with his rope As long as there's a sunset He'll keep riding for the brand You just can't see him from the road Well, he never learned to two-step. Hell, he barely learned to walk. But he's worn a lot of leather off the tree. He's had one or two good horses that he counts among his friends. He never drew a breath that wasn't free. But he's still out there riding fences. Still makes his living with his rope As long as there's a sunset You'll keep riding for the brand You just can't see him from the road Well, he's tall in the saddle And short on the cash The last to quit And the first to buy the beer He's a knight in leather armor Still living by the code That's made him what he's been A hundred years And he's still out there Riding fences Still makes his living With his rope As long as there's a sunset He'll keep riding For the brand just can't see him from the road As long as there's a sunset You'll keep riding for the brand You just can't see him from the road